Today's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 22. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in, the, that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? If he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter approached and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm a member here at the church. Uh, it's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, it's especially good to see Pastor Eric and the family uh, with us, uh, hopefully after some much-deserved and restful time off. <laughs> Our passage this morning is a good one because it allows us to answer some questions about church. This, right here, what we're doing right now. Questions like, what are we really doing here? <laughs> what, why do we do the things that we do at church? And perhaps most importantly, why do we go? Why go to church? Maybe you guys have asked this question to yourself after coming out of the year that we just had together. Maybe your kids ask you this question as you drag them out of bed on Sunday mornings. I know that my kids have asked this question about why I go to church. And the older they've gotten, my answers have had to change. Early on, the answers are simple. Dad, why do we go to church? Because. Next question. <laughs> now, the que now the answer is more like, why do we go to church? Because we're, we're children of God. And this is what we do in God's family. And I like that answer. At least it makes the kids go, okay. <laughs> Our passage this morning is going to give us three insights. I'm going to call them snapshots of what the church is to be like in God's family. If you've been following our series in Matthew, you will remember that the church that God builds is an important theme in the gospel. 
Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And now our passage is going to expand on that a little bit. It's going to give us a little bit more insight on what that church is to look like. And the first snapshot of what church is to be like in God's family comes to us in verses 10 to 14. And uh, if you have your Bibles or your bulletin, um, I'm going to read it for us one more time. And what we'll see in these four verses is that Jesus wants his church to place an unusually high value on kids. Starting from verse 10, scripture says, see to it that you don't despise. And you know, this translation despises a little strong in English. Some of your Bibles might say, don't look down on or don't devalue. And I like that much better. Don't look down on one of these little ones. Because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus asks his church to place an unusually high value on kids. Now this might resonate with our culture. Our generation in particular values kids. But the difference is that Jesus is not telling parents to value their own children. Jesus is telling us to value other people's kids in the church family. You see, I'm fine with my kids. <laughs> I'm even fine with most of your kids. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm not a kid person, I like the ones that I like, but that's kind of the point. If we're being honest, other people's kids, they are not the treasured priority of churches. I mean, maybe Trinity is the exception, I don't know. <laughs> but children, other people's kids in church, they're more like the logistical problem to solve for churches. And Jesus is telling us this morning to value them for no other reason except that they're valuable to him. That's what he's saying in verse 10. And don't ask me to explain the logic of verse 10, because I can't. All these fancy degrees in Bible, they don't teach you this one. Jesus says, don't look down on these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. No idea what that means. But we don't have to know exactly what Jesus means here to understand what he means. He means that they're valuable, something about their angels. We get our concept of guardian angels from this verse. And this is the context of the story of leaving the 99 sheep to go after the one lost one. We like to think that this passage is about us. I'm the lost one that likes to wander away. And Jesus loves me so tirelessly that he will leave everyone to go after little silly me. But this passage is actually about kids. It's unmistakably about kids. And here's something to understand. Leaving 99 sheep to go after one, that is not good sheep herding economics. A shepherd shouldn't do that. The only reason, really the only reason a shepherd would leave 99 to go after one is if that one is exceedingly valuable. 
And that's what Jesus is saying this morning. The children are valuable for who they are. I will leave 99 to go after one of them. So don't you dare look down on them. Don't devalue them. My prayer for Trinity is that we take this to heart. You know, one obvious way that we can apply this is that VBS is next week. Uh, I'm sure that there's plenty of ways that we can get involved. The youth group has plenty of stuff uh, that is going on this summer and throughout the rest of the year. Uh, there are ways to get involved with the kids in our church. And uh, maybe not on a program level, maybe just on a relational level, considering mentoring other kids as they navigate through their sports or college or work. Just that, not just our kids, the whole kids of the church, to feel a valued part of the family, to feel a valued priority of the church, for no other reason except this is actually what Jesus is saying his family should look like. The second snapshot that our passage gives about what the church is in God's family is in verses 19 to 20. There's a lot to focus on here, but I just want to focus on these two verses. Starting from verse 19, scripture says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is present with us when we come together in his name. You might recognize that Jesus here is using the language of temple. This is how the Old Testament described how the glory of the Lord would dwell among Israel. I will be in your midst. I will be among you. The difference now is that Jesus locates his presence, his temple presence, not in a holy mountain, not in a temple, but he locates his presence in the relationships of his people. This is a big reason why the Bible calls believers the temple of the living God. Jesus is sacredly gathered when we gather, Jesus is sacredly present when we gather in his name. Now, of course, Jesus is always with us in a sense, whenever and wherever we are. But his temple presence, his special abiding presence, is with us here only in church when his people are gathered together. And I can't think of anything more important to say about church than this. This is the place where we come to meet the Lord. And it's actually a pretty inconvenient truth for a lot of us, especially the introverted among us. We would prefer to do our business with God on our own. Why bring people into this? People can be difficult. They can have the wrong politics. They can be mean or tacky. Not you guys. God has made church in such a way that relating with him has everything to do with how we relate with one another in our church family. That bears repeating. God has made church in such a way that relating with him has everything to do with how we relate with the people God has given us in our church family. Do you guys remember that passage where Jesus reinstates Peter after Peter denies the Lord three times? Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? 
Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And notice Jesus doesn't say, well, if you love me, I want you to pray to me more. I want you to study the Bible super hard. I want you to sing more songs to me, sing louder in church. Not saying any of these things are wrong. But when we think about loving God, I think our minds naturally go to these sort of super religious activities. No, Jesus says, Peter, if you love me, you will, you will take care of the people that are in my family. Peter, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. How we relate to God has everything to do with how we relate to one another in our church family. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, whatever you have done for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. We can't do this without each other. One of the great losses of this recent pandemic had been the loss of Jesus' abiding presence with us when we gather together. And it's good to finally see that that can be restored. The final snapshot of the church and God's family that comes to us in our text is in verses 21 to 22. I don't even need to set this up for us because it's pretty well known. Starting in verse 21, scripture says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 or 70 times seven, whichever that number is. Forgiveness is hard. For many of us, it's probably impossible. If one of you takes my coffee and mistakenly thinks it's his or hers and says, I'm sorry, forgiveness is easy. Yeah, no problem. I'll get you more coffee. Now, if you take that hot coffee, you throw it in my face and make some disrespectful sound like, nah. Who's going to forgive that? Who's going to forgive that one time? Forget about seven times. I'm not even thinking about 70 times seven times. Forgiveness feels impossible. So why on earth are we asked to forgive? We forgive for no other reason other than the fact that God has forgiven us. We do what we see God doing. Colossians 3.13 puts it this way. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive others. Now, what does this have to do with church? Actually, a lot more than you might think. In fact, if you forget everything else that we've talked about so far this morning, I want you to walk away with this. And that's simply the reason we do anything as God's people. It comes down to one principle. You and I are created in the image of God. We are called and designed to reflect what we hear and see God doing, principally in the example of Jesus. It's why we do anything. If God forgives us, then we, for no other reason, are called to forgive others. If God is a God of compassion, then we follow and, be, and are the echo of that and are compassionate to others. One of the great refrains of the Bible is be holy because the Lord your God is holy. 
And if God, and this is key, if God sets a pattern of setting aside one day of the week to give meaning to the rest, that's the pattern that we now ought to structure our lives around. Our calling as creation people, as, as children in God's family, is to align ourselves with the pattern that God has shown us. Now, what does that look like? I want to leave us with one principle that sort of lays out the pattern of God's family. And that's the principle of a first fruit. First fruit is simply the idea that a portion gives meaning and significance to the whole. I see this everywhere in scripture these days, and it, and it sheds a lot of light on what we do here on Sundays. You see, Sunday mornings is a first fruit. We set aside this day out of the week, sorry. We set aside this day out of the week as holy to the Lord. But what we're not saying is, okay, this day, this belongs to God. On, on Sundays, I go to church and do churchy things. Now, the rest of the days, I could do whatever I want. That's not how first roots work. The Sunday that we set aside, it sets the tone for the rest of the week. It sets the priority of things. So that even Monday through Saturday, I might not be at church, but the Sunday that I've set aside, it gives shape to how I live the rest of my week, whether it's at work, school, Netflix, whatever. It's still lived in the presence of God. The same principle applies to our giving. We set aside money for the church and for the church's workers and for the ministry of the church. But the first fruit doesn't mean, okay, this money belongs to God. Now the rest of it I could spend however I want. Smoothies, camera lenses, shoes, whatever. That's not a first fruit. The first fruit that we set aside, it blesses the rest. And it gives direction to the rest. By setting aside money that belongs to the Lord, I'm saying that with the rest of this, I will also be generous with this. I will also be wise with this. With what I set aside, I take the direction of that first fruit and apply it to the rest. I will be a steward of this. And yeah, I will also buy smoothies and camera lenses and shoes. That's all part of it. That's still a thing. It's just that the first fruit gives it its meaning. This is also the reason why we listen to sermons on Sunday mornings. You guys ever ask why we do this? It's not because this is a TED talk that we just kind of give. Pastor Eric is not our spiritual guru, even though he is wise. We do this because this is a first fruit. We give priority to the word of God in our lives. We hear a lot of voices throughout the week. Voices from our parents, voices from other family members, our people at work, people at school, people on TV, people on the internet, even the voices inside our own hearts, for better or for worse. And by setting aside time here on Sundays to listen to a sermon, what we're doing is giving priority to the Word of God. That means we rely on our pastors to not just give their own take on the world, but to deliver 
the word of God as it should be. And they sit with that text prayerfully. And so that when we come here and we sit down to listen, we're receiving this as it really should be, as hearing God speak to us. And that's the voice that we take with us throughout the week. That's the voice that guides and shapes all the other voices as a first fruit. Jesus gives us three snapshots of what the church and God's family is supposed to look like. First, it's a, kid, it's a place where kids are not just the sideshow, they're a treasured priority. Second, church is the primary place where we go to meet with the Lord in the midst of these family relationships. And third, church is the place where we practice living as children of God. This is where we learn the language of forgiveness and compassion and gratitude. It's where we start setting for each other these footsteps of faith, like tithing, sacraments, Sabbath, what Pastor Eric likes to call the rhythms of grace. It's these physical reminders of who we are and what we're becoming. As I close, I want to talk especially to some of the older kids here uh, that are with us. Hey, hello. You guys are here mainly because your parents bring you here. But a time is coming, and soon, maybe sooner than we're prepared to accept, when you will have to make that decision on your own to go to church. Now, it's totally possible that your parents might still make you go to church even after you go away to college. They might find my iPhone stalk you on campuses, and you'll get texts on Sunday. Why are you at AMPM right now? <laughs> Why are you not at church? But seriously, the choice will be yours whether to go to church. And it will not be an easy one a lot of times. After all, Sunday mornings is a great time to sleep in. It's a great time to hang out with friends or finish your chem lab. You know how college kids do for fun. Listen, don't, don't go to church just because the music is cool or don't go to church because or just because the guys or the girls are cute. Go to church because this is where you meet with the Lord. You either believe this stuff or you don't. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that you're a child of God? Do you believe that you are a child in his family? If you say yes to these things and if you understand them, you're going to eventually start wanting to be a part of what this family does. Now, yeah, there are kooky churches out there. That's why you got to ask us. There are a lot of people here in this church that can kind of point out the good ones. It took me a long time to figure out that we are who we surround ourselves with. The world likes to tell you, you got to find yourself deep down in here. And I've lived long enough to know that there isn't much deep down in here. My heart is often wrong. We are our best selves 
when we surround ourselves with good people. The answers that you will look for in life, I promise you, they are not in here. They are in the people that you surround yourselves with. So choose wisely. Be a part of good things. Some of those people should be, of course, your family. There are good families in this church. Be a part of your family. Don't let your families be far away from who you are and what you're becoming. And in the same way, don't let your church families be far away from who you are and what you're becoming. Why do we go to church? We go because we are children of God. And this is what we do in God's family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that through the spirit of his son, that we are now your children in your family. Lord, some of us have been in your family for many years. Some others of us uh, don't know whether or not we quite belong or fit in in your family. And some of us aren't sure whether uh, we are in your family at all. And wherever we are this morning, Father, I pray that you remind us that you are here with us and that you meet us as we are and that we can continue to meet you and know you in the context of the people that you have given us to be with in our family. These people who gather in your name. And it is in this name that we pray. Amen.